morning, church. How are we? My name is Pastor Jake. I'm the lead pastor here at Great Oaks. It's my honor and privilege to unpack with you and for you the Word of God. If you have your Bible, you can grab it and head over to uh, Matthew chapter 7 and Galatians chapter 5. You can also get your phone or your tablet and head over to the YouVersion Bible app. Click on Events. Find us there. You'll get all of our notes and our scriptures uh, from that. So we are in a series uh, of messages on the Holy Spirit called Ghosted. This is week seven and the final week of the series. It's a little bittersweet. I'm excited to preach today's message, but I'm not so excited to end this series on the Holy Spirit because God has done so much. I've gotten just texts and emails and and, uh, face-to-face conversations, testimonies about what God has done through these seven weeks. And so I'm thankful for that. But we do have a new series starting next week uh, called Life Goals that I think is going to be great. We'll be going verse by verse through Matthew chapter 25. And so uh, read Matthew chapter 25 this week to get ready for that uh, series to kick off next week. But in this series, Ghosted on the Holy Spirit, the goal has been to introduce you or reintroduce you to the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, and to invite you to invite him into your life. Because I believe that we live in a culture and a time and maybe even a a church tradition where we have a tendency to ghost the Holy Ghost. We have a tendency to ignore him and his conviction, his guiding, his voice. And I, as, as a person, as a person, as a man who wants to follow Jesus with all of my life, as a dad, as a husband, as a friend, as a person, I do not want to live my life without the power and presence and leadership of the Holy Spirit. And I don't believe that you should want to live your life without the power, presence, and leadership of the Holy Spirit. And so we've talked through this series, the first three weeks we talked about the person, purpose, and power of the Holy Spirit. These last three weeks we've been talking about the gifts of the Spirit, and we just took on Um, The the longest, most thorough, most detailed passage on the gifts of the Spirit, just preach through that verse by verse, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. If you missed any of those messages, make sure you go online and get them. This series, maybe more than others, uh, is kind of building precept upon precept, concept upon concept, and so go online and watch those messages if you missed them. Today, I want to talk to you about what the Bible means when it says we should walk in the Spirit, or walk by the Spirit. So we've talked about His gifts these last three weeks. Today I want to talk to you about the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. Matthew chapter 7, if you have your Bible, Jesus is talking, and He says this in verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their Fruits. So here's a quick point I want to make that hopefully will send us in the right direction today. Jesus said that you will know them by their fruits, not their gifts. You will know them by their fruits, not their gifts. So we have a tendency to, to, to talk about people's gifts when we're talking about how close they are to Jesus. We have a, a, a tendency to recognize followers of Jesus by their gifts. Like he preaches well, she leads well, he leads worship so passionately, man, she can really pray, she's really wise, whatever it is. We say they must be close to Jesus because they have these gifts. But Jesus said that you're going to know them by their fruits, not by their gifts. And so if I see a tree from a distance, 
It may look good from a distance, right? If I'm looking at a tree across a field, it may look strong and big and good. And even as I get closer to this tree, it may still look good. Like the trunk may be really wide and really strong and the branches reach to the sky and the the leaves are wide and offer great shade on a hot summer day. And all that may be true about this tree. But what matters is... Does this tree bear fruit? And if it does bear fruit, does it bear good fruit or bad fruit? Diseased trees will bear bad fruit. Healthy trees will bear good fruit. So how how do we bear good fruit? Because we're going to know a follower of Jesus by their fruits, not by not by their gifts. And all of you have fruits in your family. Like that guy is just the fruit of our family. That's not what I'm talking about, all right? So that's everybody. If you don't know who that is, it's you, all right? So that's just the way that works. Like, I don't really have anybody who's a fruit. It's you, okay? It's you. How do we bear fruit, the right kind of fruit? How do we avoid being at the end of that chapter or at the end of that passage in Matthew 7, how do we avoid being the, the tree that ends up being cut and thrown into the fire? How do, we, how do we avoid that? How do we bear good fruit? I'll tell you what most of us do. Here's how we try to be a good, good tree. We, tr- we, just, we just try to be good, right? We, we just try to be a good person. Just try to be a good person, and hopefully at the end of our life, like, our good will outweigh our bad, and we're just going to be a good person. Like some of you, at least some of you, try to be a good person, right? Some of you, it's not about being a good person, you, the way that you will be a, try to be a good tree bearing good fruit is that not that you'll be a good person, but that you'll be, that you'll be better. Not good, but better. So I'm better than them. Like, did you see what she was wearing? Did you hear what he said? Did you hear what they did with their money? Did you see that post? I'm better than them, right? At least I'm not them. I'm better than them. Some of you, it's about being good. Some of you, it's about being better. Still, some of you, it's, about, it's not, about, not about being good or better. It's about being good enough. And you draw that line in different places, different people. Draw that standard. Put that standard in different places. For most of you, trying to be good enough, your standard's pretty low. It's like Hitler low, all right? You're like, at least I'm not a fascist dictator. Good enough, right? At least I'm not Jeffrey Dahmer. I haven't eaten anybody lately. Was that too far? I just want to, was that too far? I told second service that you guys could handle that joke. Could you, can third service handle it? All right. So you got a low standard. I'm going to be good enough, but the standard is pretty low. But what does the word say about how we're to be a good tree, a healthy tree bearing good fruit? How do we, how do we do that? Let's spend the rest of our time studying Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 is where we find out the answer to that question. I'll read you verse 1. Galatians 5.1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So we're going to come back to this, this verse 1, the first verse of this chapter at the end. But Christ has set you free, he says. If you belong to him, Christ has set you free. But don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. So how would one, how would a believer in Jesus submit again to the yoke of slavery? He's going to talk about two ways that that could happen. We're going to get into those two ways, how we could submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look at verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying 
the truth. So he, here's what's happening. The Apostle Paul is writing to non-Jewish believers in Jesus at this baby church, non-Jewish believers in Jesus, in the non-Jewish Jewish city of Galatia. And what's happening is that they've got Jewish people coming into this baby church telling them that they need to be a Jew before they're a Christian. They need to follow the law like Jewish people have for centuries before they can be a true follower of Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul is writing in the book of Galatians and saying, no, 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 no. It's not the law. The law will not save you. If you put yourself under the law, in fact, you are severing yourself from Christ. So legalism is not the answer. Trying to do the law is not the answer. In fact, he says very clearly, we eagerly wait for righteousness. We wait for the hope of righteousness. What's he saying? We're waiting for Jesus to fulfill righteousness, to come back. When you die or Jesus returns, we're waiting. That's the culmination of righteousness. When we are made new once and for all. And so legalism then is not the answer. He, Jesus, was righteous for us. So the question becomes, how does, how does following the law turn into slavery, right? Because a lot of us would say, wait a second, I, I kind of think following the law would keep us in freedom, keep us with Jesus. But how does following the law actually put us in slavery? How does it make us... These are my friends. How does it make us submit again to the yoke of slavery? This is, this is my, one of my friends. Her name is Lucy. Lucy is pretty awesome. Um, but, but let me talk to you about how this happens. How does, how does submitting to the law, how does, how does following the law turn into slavery? So God's law is good, right? Okay, I thought maybe one person would know that. I just, third service, I thought there was one person who had read the Bible. Okay, so let me just ask again. So God's law is good, right? Amen. It's good. God's law is absolutely good. God gives us his good and perfect law for our benefit, our satisfaction, our fulfillment, our joy, right? Like he, he created everything and he, he's like a father saying, hey, hey, I created everything, I know everything, and I know you, and here's my law to keep you in a place where you can find the most fulfillment, most satisfaction, most joy, and that you won't be hurt. This is how you stay safe, right? And so God's law is absolutely good. It's for our good, our joy, and our fulfillment. And so he gives us the law, then, that is kind of like a guardrail over here, and he leaves us in this space, this sweet spot, where he says, just live life in this space. I created you for this space. Go find joy, fulfillment, satisfaction, fulfill your God's calling on your life, my calling on your life. He says, everything good can be found inside of these guardrails. Just don't don't pass the guardrail because there's monsters out there. There's bad stuff out there. Don't go out there. I'm just trying to keep you safe. This is, and that's good. It's God's good law. It's God's good law. But what happens is that we go, ah, oh, man, I don't want to even get close to God's guardrail. I don't even want to get close to God's guardrail of his good law because there's monsters over there. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw my guardrail, my own guardrail inside of God's good guardrail of his law. I'm going to draw this kind of inside. And, and so now I'm safe. Now I don't have to worry about like accidentally stumbling into the guardrail of God's good law. And we stay there for a little bit, but what happens is that somebody comes in and one of our friends and they go, oh man, is that your guardrail? Ugh. I would not want to get that close to God's guardrail. Look how close it is. You know what? Let me show you where I draw my guardrail to keep me from touching the guardrail of God's good law. I draw it, I draw it in here. And so then we buy into that. We say, okay, we're going to draw in the guardrail right there. And this happens over and over and over again. And we continue to draw in tighter and tighter guardrails until Lucy is no longer just Lucy, but she is legalistic. Lucy, right? And she's not just worried about herself 
and her law, but she is taking her checklist, the guardrails that she's drawn and built to other people, and she's evangelizing her legalism around. And now she can't even remember where the guardrail, the original guardrail of God's good law was because she's in a prison of her own making. She is, as the Bible would say, a slave to the law, a slave to legalism. So legalism, a strict adherence to the law, is not the answer. It's one of the ways the Apostle Paul is saying in Galatians 5 that we would, as believers in Jesus, submit again to the yoke of slavery. This is how the law becomes slavery. So legalism isn't the answer. Now, to many of you, that's like a reason to party, right? You're like, yeah, no rules, Right? Like, no guardrails. To many of you, you have gone the other extreme, and you have said there's no law. Grace in Christ, then, means that I have no, there's no danger. I can just go run free and go anywhere I want and live in sin and whatever else, and I don't have to worry about God's law. Many of you have swung to the total other side, and you say things like, oh, Jesus loves me, and that's enough. Or Jesus knows my heart, and so it's fine. Or his grace will cover that sin and this one that I'm about to do, <laughs> right? And so grace to you means that you can keep on sinning. You've gone the other direction, and the Apostle Paul actually anticipates that. And so he writes this in verse 13 of Galatians 5. He says, for you were called to freedom. So, so no, no legalism. No, you're not under the law. You were called to freedom, brothers, only... Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So he says, don't allow your flesh, don't allow your freedom to become an opportunity for the flesh. And when he says flesh, he's talking about sin. He's talking about sinful desires and sinful passions. So some of you, some of you have swung to the other side of this whole thing, and you are like my other friend. Her name, her name is Wanda. You guys know any Wandas? Now you do, all right? Now you do. This is Wanda, and Wanda thinks that the grace of God means that she can live however she wants and she doesn't have to worry about it. Wanda, Wanda lives in sin and doesn't worry about it because she says that's what grace is for. She calls that freedom. The Bible calls that license. It's where we get the longer biblical word licentiousness, which means rampant sin, license. It's like Wanda has taken the grace of God that is this big and huge and powerful thing and the grace of God in Christ and she has hammered it down and flattened it down into a license that she believes gives her the right to sin. That she believes gives her the right to do whatever she wants and not have to worry about it. Because of God's grace, God knows my heart, God loves me, it's fine. Wanda does not like legalistic Lucy. She grew up with some legalistic Lucys. So she doesn't like it. In fact, she doesn't like anybody telling her that there's a standard or a line or confronting her over sin. She doesn't like that at all. And so here's how this happens. Wanda gives in to sin, usually... It's not a big one at first, right? She gives in to sin, and the first one maybe is envy. She sees a life lived by her friend on Facebook um, as a life that she wants. And so she allows envy to sink into her heart. Bitterness is created, jealousy, all of that. And the Holy Spirit convicts her, but she ghosts him. She ghosts the Holy Ghost. So she does not repent. And because she doesn't repent of this sin that's inside of her, she moves on to the next sinful activity, the next sinful desire. And the next sinful desire is, is for Wanda is greed. So she has enough already, but now she wants more. More to keep. She hoards most 
gives little. And she begins to rob God of the tithe. 10% of everything that comes in belongs to God. And we're called to and told to give it through the church, the church that we belong to. And so she begins to rob God of the tithe. And so her friend confronts her, a Christian friend, says, hey, you, you can't do this. You got you to you know, obey the Lord in, in faithfulness, and God will, God will help you. God will be there for you. Trust the Lord. But she responds by saying, judge not lest you be judged. Don't judge me. Don't confront me. You're not my friend. If you were my friend, you would know that I'm okay and God knows my heart. And so when she's confronted, she again does not respond in repentance. And so she moves on from that sinful desire to another one. For Wanda, the next sinful desire is alcohol. Now, alcohol in itself is not sinful, right? But drunkenness absolutely is. And a, dis- and a dependence on alcohol to have a good time is sinful behavior. And so that's where this goes with Wanda. Wanda changes her friend group because all those Christian friends she used to have, they're so judgy, right? Just so judgy. So she starts to hang out with a new group of friends. They hang out at the bar. She's at the bar a lot more than she used to be. She begins to depend on alcohol and the bar to have a good time. And conviction is nowhere inside at this point. At this point, she's totally embracing this lifestyle. She's posting on Facebook about all the wine and the whiskey, the beers and the bars. And she has totally 100% accepted and began to live into this persona of wild Wanda, right? (laughs) She's wild Wanda. And so she doesn't repent. There's no conviction. So she moves from this sinful desire to another sinful desire. She moves in with her boyfriend who is not... A Christian, now, it wouldn't matter if he was a Christian, that would be sinful behavior, but he's not a Christian, and she moves in, and now she's living in sin, day in and day out, like her very living arrangement, how she's decided to move forward in her life is in sin, and so every day she's living in sin, she becomes more dependent on alcohol for a good time, and greed, more stuff, she's envious of lives she sees around her, her relationship with her boyfriend, because he doesn't know Jesus, and it's not founded on Christ, because toxic and abusive and when she's alone and quiet for a moment honest with herself she can't remember why she thought these things were freedom she can't remember why she thought this was freedom she's in a prison of her own making she is as the bible says a slave to sin Not a slave to legalism, like Lucy, but a slave to sin. Here's what I want you to know about this, though. I heard someone say this one time, and I believe that it's true. And it may just be life-changing for some of you. Grace does not make sin safe. Grace makes sinners safe. You see the difference? Sin is still unsafe. Sin still has its consequences. Sin still leads to slavery. It will enslave you. If you can't have a good time without alcohol, that's not freedom. That's slavery. If, you, if all the fun stuff you're doing with your family every night and every weekend is causing you to be stressed out and not be a good father or a good mother, that's not freedom, that's slavery. If you would say, you know, I don't really need to go to church because I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and he knows my heart and it's fine. No big deal that I don't gather with the saints, the the believers, the church more than, you know, once every two months and not at all during travel baseball season. You may think that that's some kind of freedom that comes from your maturity in Christ. So enlightened are you. That's not freedom. That's slavery. If you you can't stop hurting people because you're so honest 
It's just how I am. I'm just honest. I just say it like it is. I just, it's just who I am. And you're just a jerk for Jesus. <laughs> if that's you, that's not freedom. That's slavery. In fact, if your freedom is hurting others rather than serving others, if your freedom is hurting the church rather than serving the church, then you need to reevaluate because your freedom has become a weapon wielded by your sinful nature. The Apostle Paul called it an opportunity for the flesh. Don't allow your freedom to be an opportunity for the flesh. Okay, but, but if rigid, you know, staying to the law and trying to, to accomplish the law on our own, legalism, if that's not the answer, and if, if just saying, well, forget the law, I'll just do whatever I want, if that's not the answer either, if neither of these extremes is the answer, then, then what is? What's the answer? How do, we, how do we become this healthy tree bearing this good fruit so we're not tossed in the fire at the end? Look at verse 16, Galatians 5, 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now, that last line, keep you from doing the things you want to do, that's countercultural, isn't it? Because our culture says, do whatever makes you happy. Whatever you want to do must be good because you're good at your core, so do whatever makes you happy. And the Bible just said that the Spirit actually holds you back from doing the things you want to do. So because you want to do something, that's not a reason to do it. You tracking with me? That's not a reason to do it. He says, these are opposed to each other. You cannot knowingly live in sin and have the Spirit living in you. In other words, you cannot be a Jesus follower, one in whom the Spirit lives and also knowingly live in sin because these are opposed to each other. These are opposed to each other. Remember what Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. You'll know them by their fruits. Good tree, good fruit. Bad tree, bad fruit. So hear me, beloved. There is no space for compromise here. If you are knowingly living in a way that is contrary to God's word, then you have a problem. If you are calling good what God's word calls bad, if you are calling safe what God's word calls unsafe, if you are calling freedom what God's word calls slavery, if you are calling convenient what God's word calls murder, if you are calling love what God's word clearly calls wicked, then you cannot also call your a Jesus follower in whom the Spirit of God dwells. Let me be clear. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about a diametrical opposition in our values, our decision-making processes, what we believe to be true. A paradox that cannot exist. These are opposed to each other. Let's keep reading. Verse 18, Galatians 5. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Okay, so, so you're not either extreme. You're not wild Wanda, but you're not legalistic Lucy either. If you're led by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, you're not under the law. Because if you were under the law, you would have to fulfill all of the law without imperfection, without problem. And you can't do that, right? I can't do Jesus did that. Jesus is the only one who could do that. And so you're not under the law. If you're walking in the Spirit, led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Apart from Christ, apart from the Spirit, he says, the law will lead you back into slavery. Verse 19, now, the works of the flesh are evident. 
sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The works of the flesh are evident. What he's saying is that there's no surprise here. Did any of those seem like they weren't works of the flesh? Like, oh, fits of anger's in there? I thought I was good with fits of anger. Whoa, who put, who put sexual immorality in it? It's not, it's not, it's evident, right? It's no surprise. And another thing is you are not, you and I, we're not creating new ways to sin. Like this has been the way, we're stepping in the same piles of sin that the whole world has been stepping in since the fall. So there's no surprise. You're not, oh, I didn't know. No, you know what sin is. You know what the works are. They are evident. They are evident. And he says, those who are involved in these works of, of the flesh, knowingly involved, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. I didn't say that. Galatians said that. And Jesus a few other times, but we won't get into that. Galatians said that, right? And I think it's interesting in this passage that he puts flesh. What he puts a, apart from flesh, the opposite of flesh Flesh is sin. If I said, give me an opposite word for sin, many of you would say righteousness, right? Some of you would say Jesus because you're in church and you think that's the only answer you can give, but it would work. The opposite of sin is righteousness. Jesus is righteousness, so you get that one. But you would say righteousness probably. But he doesn't say righteousness. He puts spirit apart from sin. Spirit apart on the other side from flesh. And he goes, these are opposed to each other, and he gives us this list of the works of the flesh. Now he's going to give us not a list of the fruit of righteousness, but the fruit of the Spirit. You see the difference? Fruit of the Spirit, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You'll, you'll know them by their fruits, not by their gifts, by their fruit. So let me read the fruit of the Spirit again. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Beloved, grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes. Neither are figs gathered from thistles. Good tree, good fruit. Bad tree, bad fruit. Now you may, you may look like a good tree. You may, from a distance across the field, look like a really strong and gifted tree. And as I walk close to you, I may think, man, look at the trunk on that tree. That thing is strong. Like, wow, this is an amazing tree. Look how tall this tree is. Look how huge the leaves are. This is an awesome tree. Man, it's hot today. I feel so much better in the shade of this awesome tree. That may be you, but the question is not, are you a good-looking tree? The question is, are you a tree that bears good fruit? You are either a tree that does not bear fruit, a tree that bears bad fruit, or a tree that bears good fruit. Those are your options. What matters is the fruit that you are bearing in your life. Jesus says, you'll know them by their fruit. So you could go through Galatians 5, not just the fruit of the Spirit, but also the works of the flesh, and from the beginning of Galatians 5 on, just that 
you know, this is how we would, we would uh, submit ourselves to the yoke of slavery, again, through legalism or through licentiousness. Or we could look at how he boils down the law like Jesus did into one law, right? Love, everybody just love each other and we'll be fine. You can look through all of Galatians 5 and then you can look at your life and see if it measures up. See if there's a difference there and where those differences are. You could do that. And I think that would be good. That would be a good exercise for all of us to do. But we have to be careful because if we're not careful, we can just make this into another checklist, right? We can just begin to, to build our own little guardrails around and end up in legalism again in prison and slavery to the law. And so we have to be careful if we're going to try to do this by ourselves. That's why I'm thankful that Galatians 5 doesn't end there. I'm thankful for, for verse 24 and verse 25. I'm thankful for that because that's where we learn how this happens. Is it going to be by our own efforts or something else? Look at it. Two things. Let's look at verse 24. And those who belong to Christ, those who belong to Christ Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is huge. You'll know them by their fruit. Good tree, good fruit, bad tree, bad fruit. But how do you become this good, healthy tree that bears good fruit? First, he says that if you belong to Christ, if you belong to Christ Jesus, that your flesh has been crucified. Your flesh has already been crucified. So he goes past tense and he says your flesh is is crucified. So you don't you don't need to try to earn it anymore. Your flesh is already crucified. It doesn't make any sense for you to strive to follow the law in perfection because your flesh has already been crucified. Isn't that good news? It's already been crucified. So you don't need a checklist. You can throw the checklist out. Because legalism isn't going to do it, beloved. Because your flesh has already been crucified on the cross of Jesus. Listen, if you belong to Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ Jesus. If you have given your life over to him completely. If you take your cues from Jesus. If he is the leader and Lord of your life, not if you believe that he exists, not if you like coming to church, not if you're a good person and you grew up in church, your flesh has been once and for all crucified at the cross of Jesus Christ if you belong to Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ Jesus and no other way. So first he says past tense has been crucified. Past tense, it's already done. Here's what I'm saying. You don't you don't have to have a checklist anymore. You don't need to check the boxes anymore. You don't need to try to be perfect in the law anymore. That's not you are not a slave to the law any longer. If you belong to Christ Jesus. And that's how Galatians 5 started, right? Verse 1 of Galatians 5 says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. It's already happened. If you belong to him, it's already happened. Past tense, already happened. But that doesn't mean that we, we just do nothing, right? That doesn't mean that we go, oh, well, okay, that doesn't matter what we do now. It's been crucified. We're good to go. Let's just go have fun. Eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Like, eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. Let's just, let's just live for today. That's not, that's not how it is. Like I said, that's not, that's not freedom. That's, that's slavery. So this passage goes here, this chapter goes here at the beginning and at the end. So at the beginning, read the rest of it. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. So, so we have to stand firm. We have to stand firm. We don't do nothing. So how do we become this healthy tree that bears good fruit that is not tossed into the fire at the end? 
How do we bear the fruit of the Spirit? It's not through legalism, and it's not through living in sin and calling it freedom. Those both lead us back to slavery, submitting to the yoke of slavery again. I said there were two things in the last couple verses, verse 24 and 25. Read 24 again and then 25. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desire. It's already happened. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So there's a, there's a past tense and there's a present tense, right? Past tense, my flesh, my sinful desires have already been crucified. So I don't have to earn them anymore. I don't have to earn grace. Grace has already been given. But because my sinful desires have been crucified, I now, today, past tense, have been crucified. Now, today, I choose to walk in the spirit, day in and day out. So I choose by an act of my will to walk by the spirit. Because my flesh, my sinful desires have been crucified and I belong to Christ, that's past tense, now present tense, I choose to walk in the spirit. And not only walk in the spirit, he says, but stay in step with the spirit, right? Right? Be in step, step by step with the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit and producing, bearing the fruit of the Spirit more and more in increasing measure. I think it's interesting that he says stay in step with the Spirit. I think a lot of us think we gave our lives to Jesus and everything's crucified and now it's like a line and that's the old me and this is the new me and the new me can just go anywhere we want. We just walk wherever we want and God will bless it because I was, you know, my sinful desire was crucified with Christ and I can do anything. But he goes, no, 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 no. Stay in step with the Spirit. That means you can get out of step with the Spirit, Right? And so you take a step and you go, is the spirit in this? It, he is. The spirit is in it. And you go, I'm going to go over there. Nope, spirit's not in that. I'm going to go after that. Nope, spirit's not in that. Okay, here's where the spirit wants me. I'm going to stay in step, day by day, step by step, with the spirit of God. Your life is not about trying to gain victory over sin by following the law without without fail, or it's not also not about living in sin and calling that freedom. It's, it's not about legalism, and it's not about license. Beloved, hear me. If, you, if you've given your life to Christ, you are a slave to the law no longer, and you are a slave to sin no longer. If you belong to Christ Jesus, if you belong to Christ Jesus, your freedom is already won. So you don't fight for freedom, you now fight from freedom. And that's different. That is absolutely different. That's what it means to walk in the Spirit, to stay in step with the Spirit. Past tense, my freedom has already been won. Present tense, I now live and fight from a position of freedom that was already bought for me on the, cry, on the cross, and I step with the Spirit in freedom from this day forward. Not for freedom, but from freedom. That's what it means to walk in the spirit. So, are you one of these extremes, maybe? Maybe it's legalism. Maybe you're trying to earn what is freely given through Jesus on the cross. Maybe it's license. Maybe you've given in to sin and rationalized around it and here's whatever, but you know that the Bible says something different and you are being disobedient. You're living in sin and calling it freedom. Maybe you're not sure if you're on either side of this, but you know that as you try to be a healthy tree, a good tree bearing good fruit, that you have not involved the Holy Spirit, that you've been ghost in the Holy Ghost and trying to be this good fruit-bearing tree. And it's not working because this is a work of the Spirit. The opposite of the flesh, Galatians 5, is spirit. The opposite of the works of the flesh 
is the fruit of the Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit to pull this off. This whole thing is about walking with him and staying in step with him. So maybe today is the day. Maybe today is the day that you finally invite the Holy Spirit into this process. Where you finally begin to depend on him and try to stay in step with him. Maybe today's the day that you stop ghosting him. Listen, beloved, we, we've talked about the Holy Spirit for seven weeks. Seven weeks we've been on the Holy Spirit. When you get to heaven and you go find Moses, you're like, Moses, tell me about parting the Red Sea. Man, how awesome was that? Tell me about how awesome it was to see the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud leading the Israel. Tell me, Moses, how awesome was that? If you go to King David, when you go to heaven and you go, David, Davy, Dave, tell me, man, how awesome was it? What was it like to just take a rock and a sling and slay Goliath? I mean, what was that like? If you go to heaven and you ask Moses and David this, they're going to say, who cares? Tell us. What was it like? What was it like to have the Holy Spirit of God himself living in you? What was it like to walk in step with the Spirit of God? What was it like for him to never leave you? Don't let your answer be. I don't really know. I, mean, I love Jesus, but I haven't involved the Holy Spirit in my life. I didn't involve the Holy Spirit in my life. I, don't let your answer be that you ghosted him. At all of our campuses, Germantown, online, Washington, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Holy Spirit, for your power, your presence, your gifts your fruit. We ask for all of the above. We want more of you, Jesus. We want more of you, Holy Spirit. We want more of you, God, in our personal lives, in our families, in our friends, in our church. And so today, I just want to ask God that you would lead two groups of people in here, listening online or here in the room, that you would lead them towards confession. The first group being the ones who have tried and continue to fail at keeping the law in and of themselves, of their own strength. And over, the, over time, they've become legalistic. They've got this checklist, and this checklist is the answer, and the law is the answer, and they, they're trying to earn what has already been freely given at the cross. And they are, as Galatians 5 said they are in danger of submitting themselves again to the yoke of slavery becoming a slave to the law I pray that they would confess that right now Holy Spirit we ask that you would supernaturally and miraculously break the bonds of slavery that come from legalism and self-righteousness Holy Spirit overcome our pride our tradition, our habits, our self-centeredness, and break the bonds of legalism. I pray for that other group, God, that you would give them the strength to, to confess that they have thrown your law, your good law, your commands, they've just thrown it out in response to that. And they, they're living in sin, knowingly living against what you command in the Bible and they call it freedom they call it grace I pray that you would lead them to confession right now Holy Spirit I ask that you would miraculously and supernaturally break the bonds of sin and sinful desire licentiousness and God that you would would lead these people to true freedom 
freedom that lasts, freedom that is only found in you. Holy Spirit, overcome any doubts and lead them to confession that they may move back from the danger that Galatians 5 warned us about, submitting again to the yoke of slavery, the slavery of sin. Jesus, I pray for that person, those people in this room and listening, that maybe they've never given their lives to you. you. We talked about belonging to Jesus and how this is for those who belong to Jesus, not who believe that you existed, not who like church, but who have surrendered to you. And maybe they're listening or watching or here and they're saying, I, I don't belong. I've never given my life over to Jesus completely. I have never really surrendered my wants, my dreams, my desires, my decisions, my days to Jesus. I can't stay in step with the Spirit because I have yet to really accept the free gift that is my sinful desires being crucified on the cross. And I pray for that person, God, that you would, Holy Spirit, that you would woo them and draw them across that line of faith, that they would put their faith once and for all in you, and that, Jesus, you would make them new. Holy Spirit, that you would make your home in them, and that they would be transformed from this day forward, making sure, looking around them, and asking for your help, and staying in step with your Spirit, so that they can be a healthy tree bearing good fruit, the fruit of your spirit. We give all this into your hands and we trust you with it. It's in your holy and precious name that we pray. Everybody said, amen. Why don't you stand with me? Thank you so much for being here today. Here's my prayer for us before we leave. May we never ghost the Holy Ghost again. May we invite him into our lives fully. His presence, his power, his gifts and his fruit. And may we be a church that seeks to stay in step with the Spirit at all times and in all seasons. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here today. Make sure you talk this over with your life group. If you're not in a life group, just stop at Connection Central. We'll get you plugged in. And as always, my challenge to you is to leave here not dismissed, but sent. Be a Jesus follower who makes and disciples other Jesus followers.